Have you ever wondered how the trillions of microbes in your gut could be influencing your mood? Did you know that your gut health might hold the key to a happier mind? And that the key to reducing stress and boosting your mood could be found in your digestive system? If so, what are the choices that could be influencing the harmony between your gut and brain? What are the practical steps we can take to enhance our gut health and support a positive mindset? Join me after the intro for a conversation with a very special friend with whom we will answer this and many more questions. So grab a cup of coffee, settle in, and let's start. Hi, I'm Rosanna D. And this is Forgiven Tribe, a podcast where we explore what thriving in life means and how we can achieve it, irrespective of our past, current condition, and expectations that those around us or society in general may have. Let's go. Welcome to the Forgiven Tribe show. Picture this, a bustling city teeming with life, energy, and ceaseless activity. Everything is lined with diverse communities, tall standing skyscrapers, bustling marketplaces, and an intricate network of motorways or highways that flow seamlessly between different districts of this vibrant city. Now, I'm not talking about New York City, LA, or London, or any other big city that you can think of. This lively city is inside you or me or anybody else for that matter. It's our gut, which isn't just there to break down what we have just eaten, as many of us might think and believe, but it's actually there to orchestrate a silent symphony that reverberates through our entire being and well-being. Are you intrigued? Well, you should be. Our gut is directly linked to just about every disease and every aspect of our health and wellness. So today we want to unravel the story of the gut-brain axis where these microscopic citizens in our digestive system send signals that can influence our mood, our stress levels, and our cognitive function. We want to understand how the choices we make every single day, from the food we eat to the moments we take for ourselves, can impact the delicate balance within and uncover the secrets that make us, well, us. So keep listening as we discover all the secrets between our gut's health and its impact on our overall well-being in a conversation with today's guest, Josh Deck. Josh is an ex-paramedic, an holistic nutritionist specializing in gut health, and a fellow podcaster. It was the successes his clients have had with complex digestive diseases previously thought to be impossible that got him connected to some of the world's most renowned doctors. Since then, he has been recruited to the Priority Health Academy as a medical lecturer, helping educate doctors on the holistic approach to gut health and complex digestive issues. Hi, Josh. Welcome to the Forgiven Trade Show. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Uh, Rosanna, it's a pleasure to be here. And I got to say, I am intrigued. That intro was fantastic. You really painted quite a picture that describes the gut and its connection just beautifully. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I, I have to say, I'm really intrigued by this topic, uh, as I was saying just before we, we started. But before going into that, I would like to start with you and in particular to, to know how you moved from being a paramedic into becoming a holistic nutritionist. 
and in particular to focus on gut health? Sure. It was an interesting sort of happy accident that got us here. So again, I used to be a paramedic my first career. I've always wanted to be in healthcare. I've always wanted to help people feel better. But the problem was after working in paramedics, I saw some trauma and of course emergencies, but a lot of it I was kind of a glorified taxi for sick people, where we pick them up for the same issues week after week. People were sick. They had heart issues or respiratory issues or blood sugar problems or whatever it was. And we take them to the hospital. They'd either get more of the same drugs or we give them different drugs and then they'd be sent home. And we pick them up next week or months after for the same things until they just died and stopped calling. And it's not what I wanted to do. It wasn't health care. It was really more like sick care or just basically making people's last moments comfortable with medications and pushing down symptoms. And it just wasn't what I wanted to do in health. And so by a series of happy accidents, I ended up leaving that space and I moved across the country, got into personal training. And early in my career, my early 20s, one of the first clients that came to see me, her name was Lynn. She was 57 years old at the time. She had 17 pills and insulin for breakfast, nine pills and insulin for bedtime, high blood pressure. She slept with a CPAP machine. She was on disability at work, just a bunch of different health conditions. Her body was steadily deteriorating. We started working together on food and nutrition and exercise, and her body began to heal itself. I remember one time she had to go back to the eye doctor because her eyes started hurting. Her eyes actually got better. Her eyesight improved as her blood sugar improved. She had to reduce her prescription on her glasses. And so by age 59, she ended up breaking her first world record as a weightlifter in the raw powerlifting division. And so from the disability list and 26 medications a day to breaking world records until about age 62 when she retired. And so it just really showed me how incredible the body is and that it can heal itself. And as time went on, I got more interested in these things. And I started to see some gut issues, IBS, skin issues, diabetes, high blood pressure, other conditions my clients had started to go away. And at the epicenter of all of it really was the gut, the digestive system seemed to get better. And it was the one commonality behind it. Their gut got better. So I ended up going back to school. I became a holistic nutritionist and I got more and more into the gut and gut health. And I saw some really severe cases. And the more I did, the more severe the cases came to see me and the more severe the cases we helped again, the more severe would come to see me until eventually I moved away from irritable bowel syndrome, which is IBS to IBD, which is inflammatory bowel disease, which is Crohn's and ulcerative colitis where I specialize now. And it was those successes. Like you mentioned in this introduction, we've had people turning around after 15, 16 years of severe bowel disease, 20, 30 bowel movements a day, blood and pain and all kinds of issues, three weeks, three months, it's like they have their lives back. And so it's been a really interesting journey, but one I would do all over again if I had to. It's been really cool. Wow. That's absolutely fantastic. And I have to say, I don't have that much understanding of, of the gut and perhaps just breaking down my, my food uh, as perhaps the large majority. So would you care to explain a little bit what the gut really does beyond breaking our, our food and how that plays a, a role in maintaining our overall health. Sure. So the gut is really incredible. It does exactly that. I mean, it breaks down your food and that food is nutrients and fuel for your body to build itself and keep it healthy. But there's something underlying in there that we're just learning about now. 
And it's the 100 trillion bacteria living inside your digestive system, communicating with every aspect of your body, arguably more important than your very DNA. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, your DNA is responsible for what makes you you, or so we thought. But we're now learning that your gut bacteria, these microbes, are actually more you than you. you your gut bacteria, you have about 100 trillion cells in your gut alone, but there's only 10 trillion cells in the rest of your body. And so they actually outnumber your body's own cells 10 to 1. They perform all kinds of functions from digestion to energy production to mental health to weight gain, weight loss, hormonal balancing. They help with detoxification. They even produce certain vitamins and minerals and they work with anti-inflammatory. I mean, 70, arguably up to 90% of your immune system comes from your gut. And so we start looking at it, it really does go beyond just breaking down and absorbing food, but it integrates with every aspect of our health and our well being. And these microbes, we hear gut health, this is what it really means it's having a healthy ecosystem. But it's not just your gut that has this microbiome or this ecosystem of bacteria. You actually have one, Rosanna, on your face, in your mouth, in your nose, in your hair. Women have them vaginally. We have them inside of all of our organs, rectally, of course, in the digestive system and colon. And it's these disruptions in these biomes that leads to disease. Not only are we correcting people's gut disease, for example, by correcting their gut bacteria, but even women I see coming in who have microbiome issues often will come in with chronic yeast infections or UTIs or these urinary tract infections. And by actually using probiotics vaginally, they can even correct these other issues like yeast infections and UTIs by just using bacteria because not all bacteria is bad. And so when they work in harmony, in good and bad and balance, they all work together. And that is what keeps our body healthy. Very little of our own cells, mostly just bacteria. I was looking uh, at your website and I just pulled out some of the data that you report there about the issues or the size of the, the issues. And you mentioned that there are only in the US, 72% of Americans complain of gut issues every at least once a week. Mm-hmm. 3% of the leading causes of death in the US are from chronic inflammatory conditions that can all be traced back to the gut. The US accounts for about 5% of the world's population, but according to the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, it has 50% of the world's cases of inflammatory bowel disease. So these figures, That's right. I have to say, are quite yeah. scary, even for someone who doesn't really understand about gut and how it works really and everything that is in there, right? Mm-hmm. My first question is, is this just a US problem? Uh, I, ha- I have to say, I haven't really looked at the figures in other countries or in the UK, for example, where I am. But is this a problem just for the US or is more a a global problem, uh, more general issues? Yeah, so I would say it's definitely a global epidemic we're seeing where gut disease is on the rise. It just happens to be centered in the US primarily because of the food and diet choices. And the pesticides and herbicides, fungicides, rodenticides, any side is a killer. So sides are designed to destroy living organisms. So what can we do? Yeah, so it's interesting. Well, there's so much we can do because if we look at like where our food comes from, you know, there's a big plant-based movement. They say it's, you know, it's for the the 
uh, ecosystem. It's for the environment and eat more plants and eat less meat. Well, the reality is in the last 30 years, pesticide usage, the amounts we use have gone up by two to four times and the variety or different types of pesticide is up 17 to 19 times. And so we're consuming more pesticides than ever. We're dumping pesticides and manufacturing products and plant growth chemicals into the waterways, into the soil, and things are dying. And so the pollution, it's not really the meat we're eating. It's the, the quality of meat, number one, fast food, fried foods, um, pesticides, preservatives, all these things in our meats and the plants we're consuming are covered in garbage, in poison, straight up poison. We know glyphosate, for example, is a pesticide used to kill off a lot of different stuff directly linked to cancer. One of the most known carcinogens, um, DNA mutators, genetic modifiers that we can have, and it's on everything. Or pesticides like atrazine, which we've seen, they've actually used to turn male frogs into female frogs. It's a massive hormone disruptor. And this is on our food. Now, the reason why we're seeing less in the UK where you're from, the United States of America has 50% more deadly toxic pesticides allowed in their food than they do in the UK. Foods that they consume on a regular basis have all kinds of additives. Like Lucky Charms cereal has something called trisodium phosphate, which is an ingredient used in rat poison. Why does it need to be in your food? Or looking at McDonald's French fries. In the UK, three ingredients. You got your fat, you got your potato, and you got your salt. Now, whether it's oil or whatever, that's beside the point. There are 17 ingredients in French fries in the United States. Most are chemicals known to cause gut issues, inflammation, digestive issues, behavioral problems. And so if you look at this objectively, one would argue that we're being poisoned almost deliberately. But the reality is, whether or not it's intentional or not, fake food is cheaper and more profitable than real food. So using real potatoes costs more money. There's more loss in foods going bad then there are potatoes and French fries made of 90% chemicals and fillers and patters and texturizers because it's cheaper and the bottom line is more profit. And so we see a lot of these issues through the FDA, which is the Food and Drug Administration through the United States. A lot of people who sit on that board used to work for pharmaceutical companies. And a lot of people who used to work for pharmaceutical companies used to work for food manufacturers. And so it's this very incestuous pool of approvals where everyone's kind of lining each other's pockets. And at the end of the day, Americans are getting sick. And so we're at a spot now where 72% of Americans complain of gut issues once a week, gas, bloat, pain, diarrhea, constipation, acid reflux, something abnormal. The challenge is that what's happening so often, we call it normal, but it's not optimal. And so we're seeing these processes break down. And just like if you were to go for a run, Rosanna, in a brand new pair of shoes and not wear socks, that heel would rub raw until it gets red in blisters and bleeds. And we're seeing that now of people who start with just bloat today, diarrhea tomorrow, IBS the next month or the next year, irritable bowel syndrome, and it worsens and worsens till we have inflammatory bowel disease. And we also know the gut opens the gateway to 93% of the leading causes of death in the USA. And so we're talking like things we're calling normal, normal causes of death, heart disease, cancer, strokes, respiratory issues, diabetes, Alzheimer's, kidney disease, liver disease, Parkinson's, all these things we're calling normal causes of death can actually be linked back to our gut and our gut bacteria. And so we really do have an epidemic on our hands that seems to be going unaddressed. And my challenge with that ultimately is that sickness is far more profitable than health. Health is expensive. Healthy food isn't as profitable. Sick people, you make more money on the food and you make more money on the medications. And so it's a really 
interesting system to look at it. I mean, I often joke my hairline is back here because my tinfoil hat rubs it off, but um, it's hard to see it another way when you start to see how the cards line up. This is very scary, to be honest, uh, because what you are saying here is not really uh, the problem with the choices that, that we make, is the the quality of the food that we when it comes to to quality yeah. very often is uh, is something that is very difficult to to know because a, a lot of the foods are prepared uh, ready made uh, a lot of the packages might just mention uh, a few of the stuff in there uh, some of them require i don't know uh, perhaps a degree in chemistry uh, there are so many <laughs> more letters and numbers than yes. actually uh, actual words um, so it's very difficult for the normal person who is uh, trying to shop as you know in the best possible way uh, for for their family to to make choices that are really healthy even if our food isn't safe anymore what do we do and obviously a lot of people we can't grow our own food you know you'll spend months trying to figure it out years trying to figure it out getting farmland financially it's very tough and this is where we run into these issues because like you said oftentimes the quality of food. You can read a food package and your ingredients on the bag might just say carrots. Great, but they're not telling you all the pesticides or the chemicals used to raise those carrots that you're now ingesting. And so we are blind a lot of the time. And unfortunately, sometimes it is our choices. Um, I mean, fast food is worth almost a trillion dollars. It's $700, $800 billion a year just in fast food alone. Um, smoking, drinking, all these things are on the rise. And so those are choices we make. We do make choices to eat food dye and food coloring and packaged foods. On the other hand, we're also being priced out of making good choices. Look at a bottle of Coke, 99 cents. Bottle of water, $2.99. And they use water in the Coke on top of other ingredients and syrups and dyes and caffeine and high fructose corn syrup, which is horrible on your liver and your digestive system and your gut bacteria. And so we're also being priced out of making good food choices. But the thing I look at is if realistically, if the entire world at once, which would be statistically impossible, stood up and said, no more fake food, we're only going to buy from local farmers. And everybody packed up their coolers and took a weekend trip out of the city to go find a farm and met with butchers and met with farmers and picked up food and knew where it was coming from. Our food landscape would change immediately because even though bad food is more profitable, there would be no money in it because no one else would buy it. And so it is a cultural issue. It is a choice issue. But even those who are looking for better options, like, well, I don't want to eat pesticides. Buying organic is extremely expensive. And we have to go a step further and understand that food labels are designed to lie to you. We look at food labels, go, oh, farm fresh, farm raised. That sounds really nice. Well, the reality is all animals we eat, or all products we get come from farms. So that, that word carries no weight. It's actually a romanticized small town feel of a word that makes us think we're getting healthier. So we have to understand food labels as well. And so unfortunately, it's not easy. And a lot of people don't have time but it's up to us. If we don't have the money to pay for the organic food or have a farm and grow our own food, we don't have that money, but we have other resources. We have our brains and we can put that time, that investment, listen to some podcasts that talk about this. I mean, I just released an episode on my podcast this week talking about food. I think it's episode 25, 26, talking about the labels on our food, how to navigate that. What does antibiotic free mean? What is free run, free ranged, metal raised? Do they actually mean anything? And you can educate yourself. And again, ultimately, like, you know what? 
I don't have the money to go and buy grass-fed, grass-finished beef. Maybe not. But if you got four friends together and all chipped in and bought a quarter or a half of a cow and drove to the farm and brought coolers with you and then cut it up into steaks, you can save a ton of money. It's often cheaper, but it requires effort and energy. And now that's a cultural issue we face where a lot of us don't want to make the effort. Or you got a mom at home with five kids by herself. She doesn't have the time. So we do have a lot of societal challenges that we're running into as well. And uh, it really is going to take a lot of work from us as people to make the shift. And there's billions and trillions of dollars in advertising and food campaigning working against us. So it will be impossible for the whole world to stand up together to unite in one instance and say, no more of this food. I'm shopping at a farm. And that's the reality of it. But uh, we can still take our futures into our own hands as best we can. I absolutely love what you're saying, because this is really empowering. Sometimes when we, we think, well, what, what can I do? I don't understand the label, for example. I don't know how this uh, animal has been uh, brought up. It, it's giving the power really to the others and uh, to the uh, producers and uh, big food and then big pharma that is uh, just one step behind, mm -hmm. right? Um, while saying, you know, I can decide what I put on my, on my table. I think it's, it's very empowering, mm -hmm. but obviously there is the financial repercussion as, uh, as you mentioned. Um, can we perhaps think, for example, that all, everything that we eat nowadays tend to make us eat more and that perhaps if we had more nurturing food, higher quality food, perhaps we wouldn't need that much. It, am I going? You wrong? have it spot on. Absolutely. And this is where it's interesting because the calories and nutrients argument gets moved back and forth. We've been conditioned through society, through marketing, through campaigning and all these things to go, well, it's about calories. Well, 50 calories in a meal sounds a lot better than 30 ingredients. And so we're looking at what's in our food. If we're eating nutrient void food, we're going to be hungry. Your body's not craving the calories. It doesn't care. Your body cares that it has enough nutrients, vitamins, minerals, micronutrients, water, macronutrients, proteins, and all these things to run what it needs. And it is extremely hard to overeat if you're eating steaks and salads and vegetables. Your body will get what it needs. High fat, high protein, all these different things. And so if you're eating a bag of chips or a bag of Doritos, number one, there's no nutrients in it. It's corn, it's GMO, it's soy, it's food coloring and food dye. Uh, they spent millions of dollars manufacturing their taste in these artificial flavors to make them as addictive as possible to your taste buds in your brain. So you crave more of it. Well, a bag of Doritos might be 700 calories, but a whole steak might be 500 and you're getting all the vitamins, all the minerals, all the nutrients, all the fat, all the things you need to thrive. And you don't got to eat three bags to feel full. And so our quality of food is very, very different. You're absolutely right. It's what we're eating and how we're eating. That's a big one. If Unfortunately, again, society has sort of grown to a way where you know, we're dashboard dining, we're eating in the car, running to work, running the kids to soccer, we're running between meetings, we're just shoving food in our faces on the way to the next thing. But if we look at, you know, the quality of our food coming in, that's one thing. But how we eat, do we chew enough? Does our body, is it able to actually break it down? Because we'll often joke, you are what you eat. But we are what we break down, digest, and absorb. So if you're not chewing, 
if you're not sitting and just taking breaths in between, being in rest and digest, not being in this go, go, go mentality where you're not actually going to produce stomach acid. You're not going to produce digestive enzymes. This process we call peristalsis, which is the movement of the food, kind of the milking of food through the digestive system, that's going to be inhibited if we're on the run. So to sit, to breathe, to take time, to enjoy meals, we're so busy, we don't even have the time to break down the poor quality food we are consuming. And so we're constantly in a deficit where we're inflamed, we're sick, we don't have enough nutrients. So your body is actually in the red, it's in debt to itself. We don't have nutrients. So we start to borrow it from other places. So your hair becomes brittle, your skin becomes dry, you get eczema, acne, hormones start to imbalance because your body's redlining on stress hormones, which takes away from the building of sex hormones. So now you have libido issues or hormonal issues, menstrual issues. And we start to take vitamins and minerals away from other organ systems in the body. Teeth become sensitive because you're drawing minerals from your teeth to feed your bones and other processes. And so not only is our, our food void of nutrients, but we're also not breaking it down properly to properly absorb what little we are getting. And that's a major problem leading to, to disease. You start mentioning here a couple of times the word stress, and this is where I would like to take you uh, and mm. really understand how the gut and the brain are connected and how the gut health or lack of it can affect our mental health and uh, um, well-being in general. I mean, mm. you mentioned something that is very physical, but there is a component, if I understand correctly, that is also more on the um, mental side, right? Very much. I'm so glad you asked. So let's kind of break down the gut brain. So we hear about the gut-brain access and the gut-brain health and the gut-brain communication, but what does it really mean? Your gut and your brain are actually made from the same tissue in utero, which means as you're being developed as a fetus in your mother's, in her womb, you're actually getting the same tissue split apart to create your brain and your gut. It's very similar. And so there's actually this entire nervous system. So we know our central nervous system, brain and spinal cord, or your peripheral nervous system, the ones that branch out where you touch something hot and pull away. That's your nervous system. It's this very rapid chemical electrical signaling back and forth. Well, your gut actually has what we call the enteric nervous system, hundreds of millions of neurons that communicate with your brain. That's where we get this gut feeling. I describe it as sort of a physical feeling sensation manifestation of the subconscious process. And now keep in mind again, your, your conscious brain, if we were to put it in terms like break down the amount of information it can kind of process and translate it to speed, driving on the highway, your conscious brain moves about a, a hundred miles an hour. So like the speed of a highway, right? A hundred kilometers an hour, whatever it is, your subconscious goes about a hundred thousand. So it's like a turtle versus the millennium falcon jumping to light speed. And your gut feeling picks that up instantly before you even can process cognitively what's going on. I mean, there are so many stories of people who have listened to their gut feeling and saved their own lives that they never even knew. And I attribute that to like your subconscious mind going 100,000 miles an hour, picking up things and filtering out what you don't need to know, 
what your conscious doesn't need to pay attention to. A guy wearing a striped shirt, you don't care. You see striped shirts all the time. You filter it out, but your subconscious stores it somewhere. And that's how I believe these gut feelings happen is your body picks it up and has this communication back and forth between the gut and the brain. And it will tell you and start to filter out and you know put together information. I believe even that's part of what deja vu might be. I, I theorized, I wrote a paper back in high school, grade 10 or grade 11 in my psychology class about my theory that your deja vu is actually the subconscious brain categorizing and, and manufacturing information to predict the future as a defense mechanism or an evolutionary defense mechanism to try to keep you safe, to predict a future outcome, to warn you through this gut feeling. And so there's really interesting connections. That's number one. That's just the nervous system side. Number two, we have to look at your bacteria. If you're inflamed, if your gut's not working properly, number one, picture having a broken ankle or a sprained ankle. You can't walk and run properly. So even that gut feeling, that electrical signaling will happen slower. So you could actually be more in danger by having an unhealthy gut. But you also have a leak in your gut. So when you're inflamed, your leaky gut actually has, or the, the, your gut, so let's break it down a little bit. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Your small intestine, it's only one cell thick between your small intestine and things transferring through to your bloodstream, your lymphatic system, which is a super highway around the body. Everything travels through your body through these two pathways. We filter out, we bring nutrients around, and blood gets, of course, to your brain. And all these things, if we have inflammation, there's a normal sort of a border crossing, right? Where the people go through and check, yep, you can come through, you're safe, and it passes things through to your bloodstream to get around to your other cells and all kinds of stuff. When you're inflamed, that border crossing opens. So now you have illegals, you have all kinds of stuff that shouldn't be coming in, passing through, getting into your blood, your lymphatics, large pieces of food that should not be in your blood. That's not, it's not micro enough to be broken down. We have all kinds of bacterial byproducts we call endotoxins circulating now around your blood and body, getting into your skin, into your joints, causing arthritis, into your lungs, causing asthma, into your brain, causing anxiety, schizophrenia, depression, all kinds of stuff. And that's the second way things will circulate from your gut is illegal border crossing, passing through in chunks they shouldn't. The third thing is your bacteria. Now, your gut bacteria, we talked about all the things they do in the body. Like I said, they're almost more important than your DNA. They also produce a ton of cool things called neurotransmitters. And so your gut bacteria, if they're healthy, they produce things like serotonin, dopamine, which we need for focus, memory, concentration, reward system. They produce things like GABA. That's a short for something called gamma aminobutyric acid, which is an amino acid that your body will actually help regulate mood and emotion and relaxation and energy. Um, and again, your immune system. If you're not healthy, there's hormone signaling that your body does. And of course, every woman can attest around her period that she might get a little bit irritable or moody. So imagine if you have a completely disrupted hormone signaling or hormone cycling process where now your hormones are way out of balance because your gut isn't filtering and you're going to have more mental health issues, more anxiety, depression, irritability, all kinds of things. Uh, and, and even your thyroid. I mean, looking at how we see ourselves in our own personal energy or our body and physique, your thyroid, 40% is converted from inactive to active between your gut and your liver, 30 to 40%. And so imagine now you have gut bacterial issues and hormonal issues and uncontrolled skin issues and breakouts and weight gain and all these hormonal processes. Now you actually feel worse about yourself. You don't have the energy to play with the kids or to go do work or things you enjoy. And so now you're depressed. And we can even take that one step further. 
something I see a lot. I used to work in is like weight loss resistance. We see this more in the fitness industry again when I was a personal trainer that people will diet and exercise but still can't lose weight. So take it a step further. We we did mouse studies. We can see we I can I can send you a link if you're ever interested in reading. Um, but mouse studies they had overweight mice and very lean mice. And they found that the overweight mice, when they actually did what's called a fecal transplant, so they take the feces from one mouse and give it to another, the overweight mice gave their feces to lean mice. The lean mice gained weight and vice versa. The overweight mice were actually able to lose weight when they, when they took in the bacteria from the lean mice. And so is it any coincidence that 72% of Americans have gut issues and 70% are also overweight? You tell me right? 40% are considered obese. Is it just food choices or is it also the things destroying our bacteria? Take it a step further. I know I'm getting on a tangent now. I, this one excites me. They actually took mice. I get, I get excited as well. So <laughs> okay, okay. So we're on the same page. <laughs> so they took mice and actually cleaned out their bacteria in their gut using antibiotics and flushing. And so they took all the bacteria out and put them on a calorie deficit. Those mice did not lose weight or get the cellular or hormonal benefits from a calorie deficit like the mice did who have healthy bacteria. And so we actually know now, though it's still worth still learning about how, we know bacteria play a role in healthy hormones, in weight loss, in cellular processes, in all kinds. And this is what I predict for the future. Final tangent. They've even shown Mice who exercise and run and think and use their brains and eat healthy, they took the bacteria from those mice and gave them to unhealthy, unactive, stagnant mice. And those mice who got that bacteria donation actually started to gain benefits of diet and exercise. And so I do see the future potentially in 30, 50 years of the wealthy paying other people to exercise for them and just eating you know, bacteria samples from that to get the benefits. It's it's pretty bizarre where things could potentially go. So anyway, that's all the connections. <laughs> wow. um, I have to say, this is uh, interesting, exciting, and to some extent shocking as well, because we are told you have to eat certain things, you have to exercise, you have to... Uh, and, and what you're saying here is that if our gut and whatever is in there is not a balance is not the the right elements, the right nutrients that we we get. There is nothing we can really do to to change the situation. We will basically we might lose a little bit of weight, but we go back very quickly. Yeah. Uh, you will always be at a deficit for the rest of your life. You'll be at a deficit if you do not fix your gut. Yeah. So. How do we fix, fix uh, our gut? <laughs> I, I guess that's the next question. <laughs> that is a great question because so many of us have damaged guts. And so there's a couple ways we can look at it. Number one, we can look at where our bacteria comes from. So any expecting mothers, we can see how an infant, a baby gets their bacteria, what destroys it in the works. So as adults, because there's no babies listening to this podcast right now. And so as adults, the first thing that we can do is stop consuming things destroying our guts understand your food and where it comes from, what pesticides might be on it, what food dyes, food colorings, antibiotic usage, alcohol, smoking, fast food consumption, understand the things that destroy your bacteria. That's number one. Number two, let's start from the beginning. So we look at number one, where a baby gets his microbes from. We used to think a placenta was sterile. We now know it's teeming with microbacteria, which help make that baby, they interact with its DNA and develop this baby in the womb. So even moms, 
consuming drugs, alcohol, um, antibiotics, medications, some are necessary, but these things make a difference. So having a healthy bacteria yourself can make this difference, which also begs the question, we look at things that are genetic. Well, my family has blood pressure. My whole family has arthritis. My full whole family has asthma. Is it genetic? Or is it bacteria that you got from your mom and she got from her mom and all these microbes that we share? When you kiss your partner, you share bacteria. And so you become more like them through bacteria. And so that's number one, we get them in utero. Number two, being born vaginally versus C-section. Now, obviously there are some instances where women will have to as an emergency, but there's a lot of elective C-sections happening, which is actually hugely problematic. If we look back in 1990, the C-section rate was about 7%. We're about 21 to 25% today, predicted to be almost 30% by 2030. And so when a baby's born through the birth canal, a healthy vaginal birth, they're actually covered head to toe in all these bacteria residing in the birth canal. It gets in their eyes, in their mouth, in their ears, on their skin. And so they're covering and getting inoculated, like planting seeds in a brand new meadow, right? A brand new meadow getting grass and weeds and stuff to blow in that can eventually grow to a rainforest. But we know that babies who are C-section versus vaginal birth are more prone to developing respiratory issues, neurological disorders, um, like autism spectrum, schizophrenia, autoimmune issues, asthma, skin issues, juvenile arthritis, celiac disease, type 1 diabetes, even obesity that we see. And the second part now is after you're born, you're getting these good bacteria, is breastfeeding versus bottle feeding. Babies who are exclusively bottle fed exclusively and not breastfed are twice as likely to die from SIDS, that sudden infant death syndrome. And we also know there are other conditions that happen with babies who are uh, not breastfed. We see risks of infectious morbidity, um, as well as childhood obesity, type 1, type 2 diabetes. These are the kids who are bottle fed, um, higher incidence of leukemia, which is a cancer, sudden infant death syndrome, and even the mother, a failure to breastfeed we see an incidence of increased perimenop or premenopausal cancer, ovarian cancer, retained gestational weight, so retaining weight after delivery, type 2 diabetes, heart attacks, metabolic issues. So it does go both ways. And then looking at this now, so say so baby's breastfed, it gets all these bacteria growing up, getting into nature, having pets, interacting with our environment, with other people. These are all these things that inoculate our bodies with microbes and bacteria, letting animals lick you on the face, you know, picking food out of the dirt and eating it. These things keep a healthy diversity of bacteria inside of our gut. This is what makes this 100 trillion bacteria microbiome in this ecosystem. And the challenge is, if we have any deficits right? Mom's unhealthy, unhealthy bacteria in the womb. We're C-section birth. We're bottle fed. We're, we're inside all the time. We're not getting into nature. We don't have pets. We live in a high-rise building. We're at deficits. Our meadow is weaker. Now picture a grassy meadow with some little patches of dirt, a little bit swampy. Um, you have a couple of butterflies and the odd rabbit coming in, but it's not really healthy. If you salt the earth or burn it down, it may never grow back. But look at a healthy rainforest like the Amazon. If you light that bitch on fire, it's going to grow back. It'll be just fine. And that's the difference with adults as we age. As our meadow is seeded, we have a healthy variety of plants and animal life, like all these things teeming with microbes, a big diverse microbiome. We can handle the occasional infection, antibiotic use, um, the occasional you know illnesses and bad food or fast food without really having a, a detriment to our body. And that's the importance of having it starting from early on 
being born properly, going through nature, what nature intended, get outside, get dirty, be breastfed, you know, touch the dirt, bite your fingernails, eat things off of trees, interact with animals. The best microbiomes we see, the worst ones we see are people in city who live inside. The next best to that are people who have pets in their home. And the best we see are actually farmers interacting with animals and nature on a nonstop basis. They have the lowest incidence of disease and illnesses like heart disease and liver and kidneys and strokes and all these problems that we do see in the modern world. So it's really amazing when we talk about inoculation and where it comes from. Wow, that's so interesting. So how can we improve our microbiome? Um, you know, for example, there are so many probiotics uh, on, on the market, there are fermented foods. Are these useful to make any change there? Huge. I mean, looking at these, these bacteria that we have coming in, you know, we can look at probiotics. They can generally be helpful. If someone's taken antibiotics, a nice broad spectrum probiotic is generally considered quite helpful and safe. We have to look at people who may, if you're just a little bit of bloat, some constipation, just get different foods. You know, eat from the perimeter of the grocery store. Eat your fruits and vegetables and animal products, and you're probably going to be fine. Shop organic where you can. Um, as a side note, I recommend for those looking for organic, go to number one, the Environmental Working Group. That's ewg.org. They have two lists. One's called the Clean 15. Those are the 15 foods you have to worry about the least. Pineapples, avocados, papayas, mangoes. You don't have to worry so much about pesticides. But the Dirty Dozen has every every year it's updated with the, the 12 filthiest, most pesticide-ridden foods. Every year we see blueberries, strawberries, spinach, apples, a lot of the same things because they're covered in pesticides. So fruits, I always buy organic if I eat them at all. Um, and especially like berries, above all else, I eat organic. And if, if I can't afford organic, I don't eat them. I'm better off to just not eat those foods. On the other hand, we have to look at what we're introducing. If somebody has gut issues, like active, and you're having constipation, diarrhea, irritable bowel syndrome, or inflammatory bowel disease, it doesn't actually hurt to go and get what's called a GI map. Now, for context, we have about 20 million different bacteria multiplied out to 100 trillion. And so we have 20 million varieties, different species and genus of these species that we can see, but we can only really measure. We only know enough to actually get a GI map measurement of about 100 species at best. So we can only see and measure the quantity and quality of about 100 out of 20 million. So it really is a grain of sand on a beach. But the reality is these 100 we can see are very actionable. We can increase them or decrease them or take probiotics and all kinds of stuff. So I don't recommend getting a GI map and playing with your bacteria by yourself. Do see a specialist like myself or someone else because it's very dangerous. There have been people who have died or developed disease processes by messing with their bacteria without supervision. Um, but we can at least see that and correct some of these processes. Sometimes it's probiotics. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's antimicrobials and plants and oils and things to get bacteria under balance. But in general, we want to take action to correct our bacteria. If you have a lot of, and this is where my caution goes for probiotics, if you have a lot of problems and health issues and you have a lot of digestive issues, you might have overgrowth of bad or even overgrowth of good. Overgrowth of good bacteria can also cause problems. And so if you start taking a bunch of probiotics without knowing what's inside your gut, you might be pouring more fuel on a fire without really realizing it and making things worse. And so that's my caution towards correcting your gut. I have to say, I'm a little bit concerned because I love blueberries, I love apples, and I love spinach. Mm -hmm. so, uh, I don't know what I'm going to cook tonight. Uh, to <laughs> <be honest. laughs> you, you let me a little bit 
with a bit of a, a puzzle here. Um, there is a bit of a hack. Yeah. I Would you know. like me to give you a hack for that, Rosanna? Yes, please. Sure. So if you're buying inorganic, buy organic where you can. If you're buying inorganic, what I recommend is take a bowl of cold water and dump all your stuff in there and throw in about a half a cup of baking soda and just stir it around and let it sit for about two minutes. And then once you're done that, throw about a half a cup of vinegar, just right, or even a cup of vinegar in that bowl of water and stir it around, let it sit for about a minute. Even though the pesticides and stuff are inside the fruit as well, it can strip a large portion off the outside. So at least you're reducing your intake and it won't taste like vinegar, baking soda after, just take it out, shift it and rinse it. You'll be fine, but that will reduce the external pesticide consumption by just soaking for about three minutes with vinegar and baking soda. Oh, that's a fantastic tip. So uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that I will benefit, but also a lot of our listeners perhaps can take that tip. And yeah. So thank you very much for, for that. Josh, you mentioned about creating this uh, uh, GI map. Mm-hmm. And there are many instruments nowadays that mm-hmm. are coming on the market. Something that perhaps you can attach at the back of your arms and... Uh, measuring your reaction to certain type of foods. Are these legitimate? Are these marketing? Do we all think, need to plug something at the back of our arm? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a bit of both. There's a lot of really cool wearable technology, like aura rings and you know smart watches and all kinds of stuff. And it's, it's very legitimate. Some of it's over-marketed. The quality does vary. But you know, we used to say technology doubles every seven years. And so it's really impossible to keep up with all the cool tech. So far, the only thing I'm aware of to actually measure your bacteria is a stool sample that you send to a lab. They analyze it and give you outright readings and, in, in, you know, a report. But I can see technology in the next 10, 15, 20 years developing where you do give a stool sample at home. So you have to have something that has to actually access the live microbes in your gut. But maybe doing your own sample and running it through a machine and it will spit out your bacterial profiles. I can see that happening. And we're getting closer and closer. I mean, there are so many different labs popping up who can measure bacteria. Technology really does advance, right? We have everything we need. We have more power in our cell phone than what took to do the first moon landing. And so one day, I think we'll have the technology to very easily measure it. I can see that happening. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. So let's go back then um, a few steps and let's consider, for example, how to balance this uh, scientific knowledge. I don't want to go uh, too far into the future, sure. but at least the scientific knowledge with our intuition or our personal experience. And how can this intuition and personal experience really guide to some extent our choices, lifestyle choices. Mm. It's really interesting because I often teach people, my clients I work with, I often teach them to eat intuitively. So how do you react to food? Are you gassy? Are you bloated? High energy, low energy? Are you moody and irritable? Are you really happy and elated? Like what's, how does food react with your body? We get some people are so severe, no matter what they eat, they get bloated. And so it can be hard. We can have altered intuition because we think everything's bad for us. But there's something to be said for cravings, right? I mean, there's a reason that chocolate is the ultimate PMS food, right? Because your body intuitively knows while you're bleeding, you're iron deficient. Proper chocolate has iron. 
We also need a lot of magnesium because magnesium is one of those things, for example, that we use for every cellular process that we have in the body and proper chocolate can have magnesium. And also women on their periods produce progesterone and your body loves using carbohydrates to produce this hormone. And so chocolate kind of has everything in it and it's delicious. So it's like the best food. And so a female body intuitively knows I want chocolate. This is going to make me feel better. And maybe emotionally you feel better too because the sugar gets you a little high. So it's kind of everything you need. And so my clients, I'm like, try eating a steak. See how you feel. Do you go to the gym and have a great workout? Are you really focused that day? Go have a bag of chips. Tell me how you feel. You're lethargic. You're tired. You're low energy. You don't, you're not really motivated. Or your joints might hurt. And so intuition with food does matter. Again, that challenge is that so many of us, our bodies are so compromised now with what we eat. We're used to, we're accustomed to eating fast food and junk food and other things that we get these cravings and mix that up with intuition. And there's a very big difference. And so sometimes it takes to do a nice detox for one to three months, go on a very strict diet. And that's the challenge. Again, our food, we're so accustomed to eating packaged and you know manufactured foods that to us, a diet is simply just not eating trash. It's like actually eating healthy food is considered a diet. And uh, you know, a fellow I quite like named Ben Azadi, he has a great saying. He says, human beings are the only species on earth smart enough to make our own food and stupid enough to eat it. And we really are. And so if it's man-made, that's the best way. Stop eating it, give your body a reset, Basically, if your great-great-grandmother would not recognize the food, don't eat it. Give your body a reset and then start tuning into how you're being with foods. What do you crave? What do you want? And if you crave a manufactured food, it's artificial. If you crave eggs, steak, butter, vegetables, fruit, those things, they're probably very real. Your body's looking for nutrients and we can be intuitive that way. Oh, I love that. So... You mentioned a few things, you know, you mentioned chocolate and you mentioned mm. uh, crisps. Are there specific type of foods that really help our gut and really improve uh, its health? This is a really interesting one because there's a lot of variables, you know, side to side. Some people will say, go all plant-based, all vegan. Your body needs fibers to ferment. Other doctors are going, dude, go carnivore. Eat nothing but fatty meat and organs. Some are nose to tail where they eat everything from head to tail of the animal. And the more I work in gut disease and I see bacterial imbalances, the more I do lean towards animal bases. I used to be very plant-based. I've tried vegan. I hated it. I felt terrible. I balanced all my micronutrients and ate organic and I just, I've never been sicker. My energy was never lower. Um, I went to eating steak three, four times a day and I've never felt better. My skin's never been better, my strength, my leanness, my performance, my mental clarity. And so it, it really is variable. And there's a lot of propaganda on all sides because everyone has an agenda. Everyone's got something to sell. And so what I tell my clients is this. If you have a lot of bacterial issues, you have a bacterial overgrowth, go more to the animal-based carnivore diet because those fermentable carbohydrates, starches, sugars, your bacteria eat them. If they're already overgrown, you're feeding the overgrowth. You're making a problem. Starving them out will be better. On the other hand, we look at, well, does meat-based diet, does it really feed your bacteria? There are a lot of doctors who are the healthiest people I've ever seen. They eat nothing but meat and water. 10 years now, eight years eating nothing but meat and water, and their guts are perfectly fine. Their skin's good. Their brain's good. Their blood labs look incredible. And so I think there's merit to all the above. I think everything is time and place. And I think above all else, it's important to eat seasonally. You know, we as humans, if we go back to nature, if we eat along with what's seasonal, because right now we, we live in a society, we have pantries and fridges and imported foods and fruits. Well, I'm in Alberta, Canada. 
I have winter six to seven months out of the year most years. And so for me, the only accessible winter foods are going to be winter vegetables and animal products. So that's what I'm going to eat. In the summertime, we have berries and apples and imports from local provinces, and that's what we can eat. And so if I eat with the seasons and what's available in nature, then I often tend to do better. And that's people don't like that because it's not strict. It's not just vegan, just paleo, just carnivore. And we often like to go to extreme. This is why we have left and rights in politics and all kinds of nonsense, but that's more division. And I find in my practice, eating with the seasons, eating what's natural, eating with intuition can be a bit of everything. And people thrive doing that. So instead of looking to swing to extremes for preferences or you know to pick a side, just eat what's good for you, eat what's in season. And that typically tends to be the best. Mm. I absolutely love everything that uh, that you have said is uh, going forward by going backward uh, or towards uh, as has been known for uh, for centuries. I absolutely love that, uh, especially being daughter of, of two farmers. So that's my pretty much my my origin. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh, I would like to ask you now a, a question that sort of summarizes a lot of the points that you have made. And the question is, how can we educate, share information, tips on how the gut works, on what is good, what is bad, and outbalance to some extent the billion of dollars of investment mm-hmm. that big food, big pharma uh, make in uh, advertisement, for example? Is it really a lost cause? Because mm-hmm. You started at the very beginning saying, you know, it's it's our choice to decide what we put on our tables, right? Uh, it's our choice uh, on, on what we uh, put in our trolleys when we go shopping. Uh, but advertisement is really bad, isn't it? It's powerful stuff. I mean, in the USA, 70% of annual commercials are funded by Big Pharma. 11% are funded by fast food, up to 27% in other countries. And so we know that there's a lot of lobbying, a lot of finances, a lot of things. And so the number one thing I can say, not only would it improve your health, your food, your education, but the rest of your life and honestly the world is just be open-minded. So many of us, we kind of put ourselves in an echo chamber. So all of our Facebook friends, all of our input on social media, it's all the stuff we already agree with. So it's really a confirmation bias. And so I get people all the time who disagree with me about my nutritional advice. No meat ever and all meat always and all these different things. Like If you were just open-minded, then you would actually have a chance to maybe learn something, make some critical decisions for yourselves. And that's my biggest recommendation. Of course, my podcast, Reversible, that's about reverse able, the ultimate gut health podcast. We do talk about all things gut. And it's different viewpoints. It's plant-based. It's animal-based. It's We talk about farming and food and agriculture. We talk about stress and anxiety and all these different things really to talk about where how our gut interacts with our world and what in our world interacts with our gut and ultimately how to keep ourselves healthy. And so that's called Reversible, the Ultimate Gut Health Podcast. And I do have tons of free resources there as well on Reversible Pod. That's reverseablepod.com. Just click the tab that says free stuff or free gut programs. And they all vary. So by keeping an open mind, you can learn from things like this. You can learn from differing opinions. You can pick up pieces, take some of that and leave the rest. That's okay. Go to a conference. You might hate 80% of it. Take the 20% nuggets and improve yourself. Again, unfortunately, we need to ask, is it a lost cause? Culturally, 
there's more and more division than ever. There's a left or there's a right. There's a black and there's a white. There's a up and there's a down. Like everybody wants to be as separated as possible to find their tribe. And very few people are exploring different tribes and cultures, right? And that's a big problem that we see. And so the same thing happens. How you do everything is how you do anything. And so we're doing the same with our information. We're not absorbing new things. We're not absorbing different things. We're not absorbing new intakes, new information. And that's the best way to educate yourselves. So am I biased to my podcast? Hell yeah, because I've spent a lot of time doing everything we talked about in this show, being non-biased, taking in information, looking at the holistic process and compiling it to one platform. But there are many others out there doing it. So explore a little bit. I mean, listen to my podcast, listen to the guests. If you like the guests, go find their podcast or go find their platforms and experience that for yourself and see what conclusions you draw. And those opinions can be your own. I absolutely love that. So you already started mentioning some of the stuff that you do, your podcast. Uh, what else are you working on and uh, are you planning for 2024? Well, 2024 is going to be very exciting coming up. Um, I don't know when the listeners are listening to this. I'm doing more speaking engagements and conferences. Um, I'm looking to, to speak at some conferences in Arizona. I'm flying to Dallas coming up here for a TV show called Know the Cause. Um, Miami for a podcast on Keto Camp with Ben Azadi. Um, there's so much. I'm looking to do a TED Talk uh, is coming up in the next one to two year goals. So we just want more information out there. Right now, the second, I do have a, pro a, a program called the Gut Health Solution where we help people reverse either severe IBS and primarily Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. And so that's what I do um, as my primary uh, means of a living. And I, I love it. And that's what I lecture and educate on. And I'll be doing more of that. Like gut disease will be my focus probably for the rest of my life. And it's incredible. So we have lots of stuff going on, but there's also a ton of free resources out there. Like I said, on reversiblepod.com, um, you can check the free tab section. There's all kinds of meal plans with lifestyle recommendations, supplement recommendations, all kinds of good stuff to help people who are A, not able to afford a program, B, not looking for a program, or C, just want extra information to look into. You can find all that there. Fantastic. And as always, we will put all the links in the description mm -hmm. of today's episode so people can just find you on the other side. Josh, very final question. If there was one take-home message that you would love everybody to remember from this conversation, what that would be? Mm. The number one thing I could say is just take the time to develop a reverence and an appreciation for your gut. Right? I mean, we have 23,000 genes in the entire human genome. The genetics that make you you, you have 3 million genes inside your gut bacteria. So there's 130 times more genetic material there. And so to disregard it, to know that every time we eat something we should not eat, every time we eat a manufactured food, you are damaging the things that make you you, your health, your future in ways that we can't possibly comprehend yet. We're still learning. We know a grain of sand on a beach worth of information about our gut bacteria. And so we have no idea the damage and the harms we're actually doing to ourselves yet, but we do know it's severe. And so develop a reverence, understand your gut, take the time to know how your gut interacts and get educated. Do yourself that favor because you can prevent 93% of the leading causes of death. Millions of deaths could be prevented in sickness and disease by just looking at our gut. Wow. Well, as we wrap up this enlightening journey through the vibrant world within, I hope we are not just about parting ways with information, but we will be carrying forth a newfound awareness that can shape the narrative of our own 
well-being. The conversation for me uh, today has been really an eye-opener, and I hope for you as well. And I want to leave you with a quote from Hippocrates, who said, let food be the medicine, and medicine be the food. And this is something that you might have already heard, but he also added, the gut is where it all begins. A healthy gut fosters a healthy mind. 2,400 years later, later, we are still talking about it and we are still very much making, you know, many lifestyle mistakes when it comes to, to our health and our gut, isn't it? Josh, thank you so much for accepting our invitation, for sharing so much about what you do and uh, your positive message and uh, your mission with us. Um, you know, we stand by your side on, on this and uh, I really wish you all the best. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here, Rosanna. Thank you. Well, we would love to know what you think about this topic. How is your gut doing? I hope well, but if not, or there are other issues with your health, consider whether the root cause might be in your gut. And on that, I'm sure there is plenty of information and tips in today's episode to guide you with further investigation with a professional. But if you need extra info, check out Josh work on his website and podcast and follow him on social media. You will find all the links in the description of today's episode. Join me next time when we will continue exploring inspiring and challenging situations. Because remember, we are together in this journey. Thanks for watching. If you enjoy this content, subscribe to our channel and don't forget to hit the notification bell and like this video. See you in the next one.